Welcome once again to A Monkey on Your Back, Circus and Music Podcast. I am your gracious host, Miss Radidar, and you're listening to episode 11 in our series. This is an independent collaboration between myself and the amazing Gracie B. If you have been following our journey closely, you'll be aware that this is the fourth episode we have released this week, after about a six-week hiatus due to work commitments. There are a few very good reasons for us deciding to do this. Firstly, we owed it to you, our listeners, to get Gracie's interviews with Swedish performance artist David Eriksson, which was episodes eight and nine, out as soon as we could alongside part two of my interview with Mike Finch from Circus Oz, which was episode 10, as both interviews took place quite some time ago already. And the reason for this episode following hot on the heels of those three is because I was asked by my interviewee to help spread the word about an exciting new improvisational show that is set to take place online this Saturday, the 10th of October 2020, the name of which I will reveal to you shortly. As it is to be streamed live online, it is therefore available to a global audience, so no matter where you are in the world, providing you can tune in at 8pm UK time, you can attend the show from your own living room. And here is the interview. Today I'm joined by a dear friend and colleague of mine who holds a BA Honours in Theatre and Choreographic Practices from Dartington College. She then went on to do the Circus and Performance Foundation course at Green Top Circus in Sheffield in 2011, before we met sometime around 2012, I think, in Bristol, whereby she started attending my aerial silks classes at the island in Broadmead. She is a theatre maker, musician, clown, acrobat and aerial artist has toured the world with Performers Without Borders and is a key player in Bristol-based clowning improv group led by local artistic director Holly Stoppett called Beyond the Ridiculous. They have a new online show about to happen on the 10th of October this year called The New Normal, supported by the Wardrobe Theatre. Welcome Francesca Dunford, better known to me as Chez. Hi Chez. Hello Rada. Hello, hello. How are you? Yes, in fairing. Fairing. Yeah, and um, how are you coping with the the new crazy? I'm going to call it not the new normal. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot more exhausting than um, the the old normal, which was already exhausting. Um, yeah, there just needs to be more time for um, processing all the new things. Yeah, and permission to have time to process rather than just back to backing. Project. Are you are you trying to give yourself permission to unpack all of that new stuff, the new ways of working and things like that? Yeah, I think there's a big thing around learning technology and how yes. to plug the right cable in to the right slot. <laughs> Starting with Zoom. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> yeah, um, so... How have you changed your work in response to the last six months with the COVID-19 pandemic? So um, we put a whole street theatre festival online. Wow. We, made, um, we sort of switched platforms. So instead of being out on the streets performing, we made films, which was a totally new experience for, for me as a live performer. So that was um, the Y Valley River Festival with the Desperate Men. Oh, wow. When was that? That went live uh, 
last week, so September 2020. And how did it go? It was really brilliant. Yeah. We, um, we did some live performance promoting the online festival and so as in as in going out onto the streets and doing little spot performances exactly so we're doing walkabout no gathering just sort of in the distance visual telling people that there's an interactive website so yeah we've sort of done something I never thought I would do in terms of making stuff online and it can be fun. Yeah, I found it quite fun as well, exploring that new idea of how you can... Um, I, I hosted an online music show with 10 artists from 10 different countries, or, and so we had 10 people in, in 10 different countries all at once in an hour and a half, played two tracks each, and it was really gorgeous. Yes. Beautiful thing to do, yeah. I think it's... it's um, obviously, it's not as ideal as all gathering, but it feels like an appropriate response to the time that we are in and that we aren't just going to sit around staring at blank walls, that we're creative beings and we we find a creative way to respond. Yeah, thinking outside the box is kind of normal for us, isn't it, really, as isn't artists? It? Yeah, so you've been developing this show, The New Normal, with Beyond the Ridiculous. Would you like to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so we um, got some emergency funding from the Wardrobe Theatre via the Arts Council of England. And it was in response to everything being closed down and how can we keep making, how can we keep supporting companies and audiences as well? How can we continue managing our audience experience so that we're all doing what we do? So we did our first Zoom live online show in June and it worked. I think we were all really surprised. The audience had a time, we had a time and we were like, okay, it works. Let's do another one. So on Saturday, the 10th of October is our second online show. Um, Some of us will be actually in the theatre. Some people will be beaming in from home. And um, in fact, we've got one fool who is beaming in all the way from Scotland. That's the most exciting part about this, isn't it? Is that the distance of artists doesn't matter anymore. You have access to people everywhere. Exactly. And audience, actually. Yes, that's exactly what I was about to say. It means that as well as nurturing and holding our audiences that we've established in Bristol over the past sort of five or six years we're now able to open up and invite people from all over the world yeah it's fantastic I know I managed to catch a few cabarets in Australia live streaming which I would never be able to do stuck in Bristol (laughs) exactly so yeah Beyond the Ridiculous is um we're a collection of fools and um the form is solo improvisation and we step into a space with no plan and we feel into nothing and always from nothing comes something and that can go in any sort of direction from our toolkit so we use storytelling clown music voice dance stillness comedy and the idea is that we we connect with ourselves with our space and with our audience and we play out what the story is that needs to be played out 
From literally nothing. From nothing. Wow, that's a pretty amazing skill set to have, really, isn't it? <laughs> you need to have a lot of tools in your pocket to actually be able to draw from anything and inspiration. Yeah, so we've been having regular Zoom rehearsals throughout this whole um, lockdown period. So it feels like we've we've got quite a, we've got a shared language that we've been building up with Holly. Stop it over many years. So the five of us that are performing this time have been working with Holly's style for years now. Can you explain to us a bit about how a Zoom rehearsal works? <laughs> yeah. So for me, um, it's always, um, oh, oh, I should have put my computer on sooner. It's really slow. <laughs> and then I always make sure I've got lots of water and a cup of tea nearby. Um, tell your housemates, I'm going to be making some strange noises. Sorry, it's really normal. I'm fine <laughs> for the next two hours. <laughs> and then we, it's very similar to how we would meet in, in a room. And I think we've, we've all sort of got used to, um, or we've adapted to being in a Zoom place. So it's not like a, this, the screen thing doesn't feel like a block for me like it did five months ago. It feels like, oh yeah, this is the thing we do. We meet, we have a little chat, we'll have a little sit and a meditation, we'll have a check-in, and then we'll do a series of exercises and we're going to breakout rooms and do pair exercises, we'll do things all together, and then suddenly it's like, wow, it's the end, and then we'll have a closing checkout. And then back into a, an empty room, and then <laughs> you're like, oh, I'm home already. And I think that that's that's the hardest bit. Like the actually doing it, the actual doing it is is sort of possible. But there's that transition afterwards that I think we're still figuring out how to do that so that there is a transition from rehearsing or performing to being at home in your home environment. And I think what I recognized after our first online show was how much I value that journey from a theater to home whether it's like the drive down the motorway with the crew or the cycle up the bike path and how important that transition is. You have a chance to readjust to your two different surroundings rather than being sort of transported straight back into a, a room by yourself. <laughs> yeah. So I suppose we really are like going in and out of portals and suddenly being dropped in in these places that we've been the whole time but we hadn't realised. Yeah. But as you know, this is a circus and music podcast. Gracie and I are both really, really connected and moved by circus and music as mediums that we believe really come together and support each other. Would you like to tell us a bit about how you use music in your work? Yeah, so very similarly, I, I feel like for me, there's something super connective in music, whether it's how it makes me feel, how it makes me want to move, how it makes me want to express. It's it's sort of a direct way into emotion. Yeah. And I, it, it's sort of, I know there's a science of it, but it also feels like magic. I'll be listening to a track and... I'll have a, an emotional response like where's that come from like how does the I suppose it's the vibration of a note if you want to go science on it like it hits you in a particular place and you have 
a feeling that makes you want to dance in a particular way or cry or headbang or you know it's and I think for me performance and theatre and circus making is is a movement expression of a part of a human emotion so of course they 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 really complement each other and support each other and you're a musician yourself as well what musical instruments do you play Chiz? as a theatre maker it's it's um it's come to light that I play lots of different instruments to serve whatever story it is that we're telling but the the three that are really um prominent these days are accordion and I just happened to pick up an accordion when I was at Greentop in Sheffield. I was, was like, oh, I really miss playing the piano. Mm, like, what do I do when you can't carry a piano around? And we were literally walking home from a circus session. And there was this accordion in somebody's recycling pile. And I thought, hang on a minute, this, <laughs> what, hello, universe. So I knocked on their door, I said, what, um, what are you doing with your accordion? They're like, it's broken, it's broken, you can have it. And I took it home and it was totally shonky and really broken and had a really particular charm to it. So I gaffer taped up the holes where all the keys had come out and I gaffer taped the bellows so that there was an air coming out of there. And I taught myself how to play, oh, what was the first? song I'm forever blowing bubbles and it was a show directed by Jerry Flanagan and I I took the accordion I said Jerry I've learnt the accordion and he went go on then let's let's hear it and it was really shonky like it's like it's perfect it's in the show (laughs) that's excellent I love that (laughs) that's that was the beginning of my love for accordion and that's sort of been my arc throughout the past sort of what's that now nine Nine years years. it's a very complimentary instrument to circus and performance art anyway isn't it it's got that lovely quirky cabaret street performer vibe about it I love the accordion it is an incredible instrument because it's so versatile and that's that's why I think I've been hooked by it because there's like there's like different layers of playing it. There's like, oh, you can just play your waltz and your umpy pumpies. And then there's like the next layer where it you play different rhythms with both hands and then a different rhythm with the bellows. And like I feel like I'm a beginner still. And I think we always should be beginners because then we're always learning. Um That's a nice way of looking at it. Keep learning. It's important exactly. to keep learning in this life. Yeah. So then the accordion sort of, I've been practicing doing less with it. So I went on a whole like klezmer, Eastern European music, playing phase and like all the like big loads of rhythms. And then now I've sort of come, not full circle, I'm somewhere on the cycle and I'm playing a lot more folk music. So that sort of feels like less doing less and actually that is a lot harder with the accordion because it's a loud instrument so you actually need a lot more technique to play subtle music and I've really been enjoying that particularly in lockdown I've I've felt a lot quieter 
So playing more quiet music has felt appropriate. Just because practically everyone's at home, they don't want to hear you honking your <laughs> all the time. <laughs> so that leads me on to the other instruments. Two of us that are sort of prominent at the moment are banjo. Oh, great. Another fantastic instrument. <laughs> <laughs> so banjo sort of, it feels a lot more calming to play when there's lots of people nearby. It's a lot more well, it can be really loud and really fast, but it can also be really um, soothing. So, yeah, I do practice claw hammer, but that I will need another 10 years to master. What is claw hammer? So it's like the really fast, um, you know, when you hear um, like mountain music, yeah. Appalachian music. Ah, that's my favourite. I love that stuff. And it, it, it has this rhythm that make, you can't help but move. Yeah, yeah, it's my favourite. One yeah. of my favourite bands at the moment is called Rising Appalachia. Yes! They're gorgeous, gorgeous musicians, yeah. yeah. And how they use violence. harmony oh. is, um, yeah, there's something about harmony and that's where the moving happens. You have one note and then you put another note with it. And something magic happens. Yeah, incredible. So banjo and accordion. And did you mention there was a third one that you're yeah. particularly so, drawn to at the moment? My background in music in the Forest of Dean was in the brass bands. So I started playing cornet. And in the past year, I've been playing more trumpet. So Fantastic. it's got um, a brighter, more... Uh, bolder sound than a cornet so it's it, it carries more when you're working outdoors aha uh-huh. yeah so it's really good for socially distanced walkabout for example exactly. exactly fantastic well seeing as we've done a little bit of chatting about music you've given me a few tracks here which are all produced and written by yourself yes yeah. and I've just had a lovely listen to them this morning so would you like to introduce the first track we've got lined up yeah so This is from an album that I put together called Of Forest and it's a collection of songs that I've written, traditional folk songs and poems that I've set to music and it was all out of a connection of music with my grandmother who I spent a lot of time with in the forest and this is sort of um, a thank you to her because we always just sang in the kitchen and that was sort of how we hung out so I beautiful yeah Daphne that was her name she was a lovely woman who was just very calmly present and I'd often go and be like oh Gran I'm learning the accordion now and she'd be very like very nice dear keep practicing oh that's so sweet (laughs) like supportive but in a way of like yeah you do you do need to work a little bit more on that one (laughs) um so the there was there's one song on the album that was a poem she just recited off the top of her head it's um, the sea fever poem um you can listen to that on Ches Dunford Bandcamp later um but the one I'd like to play here is um it's called Hair Beware. And it's a story that I found in an old newspaper in the Forest of Dean. And it's sort of based on a myth and um, a local historian called John Belcher it has elaborated it into a wonderful story. And then I've sort of extracted parts of that and made it into a story about a hare 
who is a woman. Ah. So let's uh, have a listen to Hair Beware by Francesca Dunford. If you see a hair on the edge, he'll quarter, leave it well alone. For she will run and you not get caught. Holly Bush of Heart is home, home, home. Holly Bush of Heart is home. On the hillside, on the other side of the valley, she was running out. She was running, they went running out. Now let us go back further to the days where Sage could cure you. A cottage stood alone. The chimney billowed, hot stew on the fire. The wise woman, she lived there alone, alone, alone. The wise woman, she lived there alone. On the hillside, on the other side of the valley, she was looking out. She was looking, they went looking out. Now here in this dwelling, the miners took their tools. Each day returned again. The wise woman cured them of ailments that draw them deep in the pit of hell, hell, hell. Drowned in the pit of hell. On the hillside, on the other side of the coal team, they went digging down. They went digging, miners digging down. Unbeknownst to their miners of the coal dust dancing swagger, hunting under moonlight for all that shakes and shudders. Arrow poised and pointed to the hairs with noses northward. So always take the dog who'll run the speed, speed, speed. Always take the dog who'll run the speed. On the hillside, on the other side of the valley, dog went hunting out. Hair went running, dog went hunting out. One hair was all that was left. And she would not get caught Until the miners borrowed a dog from the neighbouring mob
And when came no answer through the window, there he crawled. The wise woman lay bleeding on the cold stone floor. The wise woman lay dead on the floor. On the hillside, on the other side of the valley, she was running out. She was running and she ran them out. On the hillside, on the other side of the valley, she was running What a great track, Jess. I love it. I've listened to it about four times this morning since you gave it to me. It's just such a great story. And that's you, solo musician, solo singer on that whole piece. It's just you. No, there's two other musicians. There's Karen Dickinson, who's playing the cajon, and Megan Brooks, who's playing fiddle and doing the dog bark. I think there's something really wonderful about collaborating with musicians and no, that track, there's um, two other musicians who are very dear friends. And I think for me, there's something about I love playing music, but I also love sharing it. And it's, it's, it's such a personal thing, singing stories and sharing your voice. I suppose that's the, the other, another big instrument is, is the voice. And there's nothing more I love than sharing it with friends. Yeah, and to be able to have uh, a musical collaboration where you get to play music with your friends is just such a lovely thing to do, isn't it? Okay, would you like to tell us a bit about your artistic career? Mm. Yeah, so I went to Dartington College of Arts and that was a really supportive environment to um, devise work and follow process. So it was really about having a creative way of thinking rather than a product-driven way of thinking. And that really has, has formed a foundation in how I approach all the different practices that I, I work within. So I've just been pretty lucky since graduating 10 years ago. Um, and I've sort of randomly applied for things that have rolled onto something else and then you meet somebody else and then they ask, ask you to do something else and it's sort of been quite an organic I hate using that word <laughs> but it has been yeah <laughs> it's, it's sort of it's it's unfolded and I think alongside allowing things to unfold there's been moments of um like you do have to push and you do have to work really hard and you practice and that's a really important part of being an artist is following your nose and also nurturing the skills. So for me, it's really been about having a creative process where you allow the projects to arrive, but also you're ready, you're skill ready to respond to what the 
piece of theatre or community project, what what the group, what your audience is wanting, needing and expecting. Yeah. Yeah. So I started out working um, in a warehouse in Peckham with a live art performance company called Living Structures. What, what year was that? That was 2010. Uh-huh. So after you graduated from Dartington. Yeah. yeah. And then I very soon after that moved to Bristol. Oh, Sheffield first? No, Bristol first. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, a little Bristol moment first. I did. I had a year in Bristol and I worked um, with a Somerset organisation called Take Art. And we were doing an action research project looking at how to embed creativity in early year centres. Oh, cool. So I, I did a whole series of sort of participatory theatre, dance, puppetry workshops with naught to five-year-olds and their families. That was sort of the beginning of me working in deprived areas and um, offering activities to give people confidence to play, to play games with their children so that there's interaction. So we were working with some really high-end, vulnerable people. There was one young woman, I remember, who... She just didn't know how to talk to her child. So it was sort of various um, games and activities and things we could offer just to build confidence. And I think that building confidence is what's underpinned a lot of my community outreach work. Um, because there's a lot of people who just don't, don't know how to be confident because whatever life story they've experienced um, hasn't supported them to fulfill their full potential. A lot of grown-ups, you know, you, you, you work and you play. And I think, why can't your work also be play? Yeah. So when I first moved to Bristol, I joined a clown company called the original spinners. And that was all about play, just spreading, spreading joy and and I'm going to interrupt there and say that I think that's the very first time I ever saw you perform before I met you because oh. I was sitting in the canteen quite probably with George at the time and having lunch and you guys all just popped up dressed as clowns and playing some music perhaps as well in there and it was just the most beautiful pop-up performance I think I've ever experienced actually. They're still running workshops in um, Southmead Hospital with Parkinson's patients and uh, that's headed up by Rachel Smith-James who's a brilliant community artist and does beautiful beautiful pop-up performance and workshops. It's so good it really made me it made me walk away with a massive smile on my face and think I god I love this city (laughs) (laughs) and that's the sort of performance that we we can be doing socially distanced pop-up performance definitely and I I wonder if there's potential to get funding to do that in the city because we really need people are really hungry for joy we need we need it as a form of distraction, entertainment, but we also need it because we need connection. We're yeah. humans and we need to be seen and we need to see. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Very, very definitely. Okay. So um, after Original Spinners, what happened then? 
that was when I went to Sheffield. I was like, oh, being a clown's quite fun. I feel like I've found my place or my community. Um, so that's when I went to Sheffield to go to clown school. And I got um, really distracted with Ariel. I was like, <laughs> oh, this is great fun. And um, just, yeah. And I was like, well, why can't I do both? So that was a pivotal moment of finding an accordion, discovering aerial and acrobatics, and also doing brilliant clown work. Such an amazing group of skills to have in one person, isn't it? So you've got music, you've got performance, you've got clowning, improvisation skills, um, yeah, and and physical skills. Well, I think there's something worth mentioning at that at this moment around. Um, it is important to have a versatility as an artist because I found that it it keeps you in work yes very very practically if you can do a bunch of things then there's a whole bigger pool of people you can collaborate with and projects that need your different skills and also if I just did one thing I'd probably get very bored Yeah, the same as me. Juggling is not my skill, but juggling skills is definitely my skill. <laughs> yeah. And I remember my I remember someone saying to me many years ago that I went through a phase of feeling really inferior that I didn't I wasn't high skill level in one discipline. And I remember somebody very seriously saying to me, being multidisciplinary is a specialist skill. Yes. Yes. And I remember like sighing a breath of relief. I was like oh, so I can just do what I enjoy doing and that that's enough. It's like, yeah, it's it's enough and it will always be enough. It's a very important statement for me to remember too sometimes because I feel like I'm like, God, I've never got time yeah. to do anything, <laughs> but, but I've got to do everything. <laughs> and I think it's really important when you see somebody that is a specialist in, in a discipline and I particularly see that in circus where I'm like, oh my goodness, wish I was doing side planches and backflips and so but it's it's okay that I'm not doing those things because other people are doing those things and to celebrate that and to sort of shine shine a light on what you do is is what you do especially when you're multidisciplinary you can't if you want to do high level backflips then you train that every day that's right (laughs) or if you want to juggle nine clubs or whatever then you need to do that every day And I've got a massive respect for for people that have that level of skill. Yeah, me too. Because for me, it is magic. Like the magic is someone has dedicated so much time to practicing that and like big respect. Yeah, definitely. 100%. Okay, so we've kind of gone off on a tangent, but it's been great. So let's go back to uh, what happened after you came back to Bristol then. So you did Green Top Circus and Performance Foundation course. Yeah. And then you came back to Bristol um, around, and that would have been around about the time that you and I met, I, yeah. I imagine. Well, that was 2011, 12-ish. What did I do then? Oh, I got my first theatre tour. Beautiful company called Horse and Bamboo. What a great name. <laughs> well, traditionally, they performed with bamboo puppets on a horse and a wagon and they went to rural village halls oh how gorgeous yeah really lovely so they they're a a bunch of artists that they make really beautiful visual performance 
using giant head masks and beautiful tabletop puppets. Um, so when I, so I taught with them on and off for a year. Um, so that was my first intro to touring theatre. And it was a really hard tour. <laughs> oh yeah? Why was it hard? It was a two-hander show. The set was massive. We were performing multi-characters and running all the tech from inside the set. And there was only two artists two on are. the show. And wow. so we were also driving everywhere. Wowzers. Welcome to touring life. Exactly. <laughs> when I look back on that, I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm impressed I carried on. Because actually that was probably the hardest logistical show because there were so many different elements to it. So then I was sort of touring that weekends and half terms and summer holidays and living in Bristol, I was training circus. And that was when I was coming down to the island to your classes. And that was when I met Chris and started practicing Ashtanga yoga. Uh, you mean Chris Bull Bulls from Bullzinis? Yes. Yeah. What else was going on in Bristol? We were young. We were having fun. There was, it felt like a really wonderful time to be in Bristol because there was so much space and creative energy and possible like, collaborations. You'd like have, meet someone and be like, oh, I'm practicing this. And they'd be like, yeah, come to my squat. We'll do a somatic dance workshop in exchange for teaching yoga or, you know, it felt really um, fruitful. Yeah, it was time. a really incredible time in Bristol, wasn't it? Because it was so highly creative and we were doing carnivals and all the island projects with the Invisible wow. Circus and the music was so rich in the city at the time and the creative collaborations were probably like some of the best things I've ever experienced in my life as well at that time. Yeah, it was a very, very exciting time to to be around and to go and, you know, there were shows happening all the time like in big giant immersive performance dancing at bands and yeah almost makes me want to cry <laughs> no it's um it's bittersweet talking about it because it's you know all these things that I suppose we're really missing now is that idea of big scale gathering yeah I'm feeling that that dance but you know we we do have to keep hopeful that all um, grateful that we experienced that and those stories are in our bones. Yeah, it feels so far away from happening right now, doesn't it? Heartbreaking. It is. And I suppose it's how to, how to, how can we move forward? And I suppose it's the not knowing, isn't it? It's the, well, how, how can we plan? That's what I'm wondering at the moment is about planning projects and a lot of things like I've had some conversations and then I had another email this morning it's like we're not doing face-to-face -face projects yet so it's like okay well maybe maybe springtime and it's it's sort of been like that all year where it's like oh maybe we'll have some summer gigs no no okay well maybe we'll have some autumn gigs oh, no maybe we'll have some Christmas gigs <laughs> yes I know so I suppose that's that's where being in like working in different disciplines, it's like, okay, well, it's really quiet in the arts at the moment um, in terms of performing live, but what, what else is happening? Online stuff's happening. Okay, great. 
what what else is happening or what other areas of my life can I sort of turn up a little bit whilst this one has been forced to be turned down and I don't think we stop doing what we do um I think it's a time to do reflection and research and development for projects for the next season so you started training circus um, aerial silks classes with me and uh, and lots of collaboration and stuff around 2012, are we talking probably now? I did the Olympic opening ceremony in 2012 as one of the flying Mary Poppins. And I think yeah. it was about the same time that you were training with yeah, me. That was a great, there was loads of arts funding around the Olympics. That was my first introduction to the Desperate Men. I was part of... Um, the big sort of promenade street performance that was down in Weymouth for the Olympic opening for the boats. Oh yeah, so with Cirque Bijou. Yes, Battle for the Winds. That was also where I first met Tim Hill. Who is Tim Hill? Tim Hill's an out, well at the time he was, what was his job title? Somerset's outdoor celebratory artist. So he did lots of music performances, community music performances around Somerset. Now I'd met him the year before he pulled me on board for the Somerset um, contingent for Battle for the Winds. And we did lots of big brass sounding. There was like, on our processional machine was this giant um, horn, basically, that you could play. So it was like on these, this moving giant horn. It was That's so cool. It was loud and it was, yeah, so we had like a show that we did around it and yeah, met up with everybody, all seven counties from the southwest. We all did a big show together in Weymouth. Um, That was 2012. And then, um, then I started working with street theatre companies. I was like, "Ah, I really like working outdoors. This feels... um, really obvious place to be. So I toured with Fried Gold Theatre as Mr. Toadie. Oh, great. (laughs) Toadie from Toad Hall? Yeah. Oh, fabulous. What a great character. One of my favourites. He was such a meanie. I (laughs) love playing him. (laughs) It is a really good character to play. Yes. And I also then toured with Piff Paff Theatre. That's right. And they're based in Sheffield. Sheffield-based company. Um, I did an outdoor show with them called Something to Hold that was on this... um, It was like a structure that tipped up and down and span around. And you you were doing aerial. Was that the first time you were doing aerial in a show? Exactly. Yeah, but I remember that. I think I helped you potentially to develop a bit of that work, didn't I? Yeah, so I had to do do a rope piece for the audition. I was like, rather, I've never done rope. That's (laughs) right. (laughs) It's not one of my major skills, but obviously it's quite similar to silks. There's a lot of crossover. Yes. We did a couple of workshops, didn't we? Exactly. So what's lush about their work is it's, it's a crossover between theatre and circus and storytelling with a with a heart in music and storytelling which is perfect for you yeah I love working with them and they're they're dear friends and over the past sort of five years I've worked on various projects with them um we did a big Christmas show that was called Snow White I don't know if you've heard of that classic (laughs) 
<laughs> Might have read it once or twice. <laughs> um, so that was an indoor show that used music, circus and performing. Um, and that was great because I got, I love shows like that because it's sort of like I get to do aerial, I get to play accordion and trumpet and I get to do some acting and interact with audience. Um, as well as being playful with a cast of, of wonderful performers. So I'm actually going to stop this interview here and release it in two halves, as it is once again too long to upload as one episode. Don't worry, the second half will be out in a couple of days for sure. I won't leave you waiting so long this time. The wonderful thing about splitting it in half means I have some extra time available to play you a few of my favourite tracks from Ches's album Of Forest, which is available at chesdunford.bandcamp.com. That is C-H-E-Z-D-U-N-F-O-R-D dot bandcamp.com. It comes highly recommended by me. I bought the album after she sent me her tracks for the podcast and I haven't stopped listening to it all week. So here is one of my choices now, and I'll play another one at the end of this episode. This song is based on a traditional folk song that Chez adapted and arranged as she saw fit. It is a classic tale of the inconsistency of love, and it is called The Cuckoo. Oh, the cuckoo is a pretty bird. She sings as she flies. She brings us good tidings and tells us no lies. She sucks the little bird's eggs to keep her voice clear. And when she sings cuckoo, the summertime draws near. As I went a-walking down by a bush, I heard two birds whistling, the blackbird and thrush. I asked them the reason so merry they be, and the answer they gave me. We are single and free, a-walking, a-talking, a-walking was I. To meet my true lover, he'll come by and by. To meet in a meadow is all my delight. A walking and talking from morning till night, and meeting it's a pleasure, and parting a grief. An inconstant lover is worse than a thief. A thief can but rob me and take all I have. But an inconstant lover sends me to my grave. And the grave it will rot me and bring me to dust. An inconstant lover no maiden can trust. They'll court you and kiss you and vow to be true. And the very next moment, 
bid you adieu. Oh, the cuckoo is a pretty bird. She sings as she flies. She brings us good tidings and tells us no lies. And when the time is come, her voice we don't hear. And where she goes, we do not know. Until the next I just think that track is stunning and shows off Chez's vocal range beautifully. Do head over to her band camp and support her as an independent artist by buying the music if you can. Times are tough when your government rules that being an artist is not a viable job. Perhaps if they stop listening to music, going to the theatre or the cinema or the circus, stop reading books, attending art galleries and buying art, they may start to realise how important art actually is to every person in the world. This podcast is an independent project produced and edited by the amazing Gracie B and myself, Miss Radidar. We love collecting stories from our weird and wonderful arts sector and sharing them with you. If you are willing and able to support the project, please do head over to our coffee page at ko-fi.com slash monkeybusiness and buy us a coffee or two. It helps us to purchase the music we use throughout the interviews and upgrade our editing hardware and software so we can improve the quality of our recordings and other such things. On that note, I would like to give a huge shout out to all of you who have sent in donations so far. Thank you. In particular, our very good friend Dave Knox from Flame Oz, whose recent and very generous donation has enabled us to purchase Ableton Live and upgrade our editing software. We are so humbled by your support. Thank you so, so much. Now to learn how to use it properly. (laughs) This is my second episode edited on Ableton Live. I certainly do have a way to go, but it has definitely been a very positive upgrade. I also want to add a big shout out to Father Funk, a.k.a. Will Williamson, my friend and housemate, for his support and patience in teaching us both how to use it. We are truly blessed to be surrounded by such kind and wonderful friends. So, on another note, I went to see a real-life circus show in Bristol last night. It was great and felt so good to be in an audience again. Socially distanced, of course, a little bit different to normal, but nonetheless, we watched an actual show without having a screen in front of us. The circus is called Circus Montini and is up on the Downs in Bristol until the 18th of October and has a ton of really huge acts in it. They need to seriously work on the music in general throughout the show. It leaves a lot to be desired, unfortunately, but it is a fabulous show nonetheless. There is a lovely swinging trapeze act to start with, with great skills, a wheel of death and globe of death acts, which I don't think I've ever seen together in one show before. There's a sweet little Diablo act, and roller skating, among other things. But my two favourite acts were the Aerial Silks Act performed by my very good friend Nicole Pearson, who was touring with Cirque du Soleil on a show called Axel in California back in March when the world closed down, and Cirque sent all the artists home for at least seven months without pay, as they were told at the time. 
Nikki has been filling in for Circus Montini this week due to another artist's injuries. That's difficult to say. And her divine act, performed on white silks in a lovely white costume which I mended for her last week, is simply breathtaking. Such a treat to see her perform after a few years away with Cirque and touring as a performer on cruise ships. The second act that I wish to mention is the fantastic Ariel Straps act in the show by a man called Robert Foxall. I won't spoil it by telling you any details, but I will say that this man is a true showman who has clearly been in the business for some time and is delightful to watch. He is super strong and makes straps look easy. No mean feat considering it is one of the hardest aerial disciplines to master. I highly recommend you go see this show, if for no other reason than to watch this act. It's great. But also, it is more important than ever right now to support live performance of all kinds, as artists throughout are really struggling financially right now, and we must keep our industry alive by going to see shows and buying music directly from independent artists. A little bit from everyone goes a long way. If you'd like to support this podcast but you cannot do so financially, if you could give us a like on our Facebook page, A Monkey on Your Back, follow us on Instagram, share the podcast on your own socials and drop us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts, we would be just as happy. The more you do this, the more it helps us get these interviews out to a wider audience. So that brings me to the end of part one of my interview with musician and performance artist Ches Dunford. I'm going to leave you today with another of my favourite tracks from her album Of Forest. This one Ches found whilst researching local folk stories from the Forest of Dean here in the UK and tells the story of an overprotective father. It is called Shot Like a Bird. Until next time, be kind to one another. Adios amigos. Father, he came forth to hear it. Straight away to his daughter did go. Dear daughter, I hear you've been courting to a man that is lower your degree. Who's been telling all those false tales, dearest father? Who's been telling those false tales on me? My intention is never to marry To a man that is lower my degree They sent for young Jimmy to vide it. Young Jimmy they sent unto he. And he creeped upstairs in his stockings just to hear what they all had to say. Jimmy sailing 
or see him shot like a bird on the tree. Dear Father, you give me two chooses, two chooses you give unto me. I would rather send Jimmy a sailing than see him shot like a bird on the tree.